So last week, we studied the first half of Genesis chapter 2, which provided us with a detailed uh, account of the creation of the first man, Adam. And we noted that after God created a paradise of pleasure and delight called the Garden of Eden, God then entrusted that special garden. He gave that garden over to the man to work it and to keep it under his authority. And as we noted, to work it meant to cultivate it, to till the land, to care for the land, uh, to serve and ensure that God's garden was going to grow and flourish and prosper. And therefore, we concluded that in the very bones of every man, uh, in his DNA, you could say, is this calling to be a cultivator, to be a producer, to build things up, to produce what's good, beautiful and true, not to bring ruin, not to bring destruction. So, So real men, according to God's design, they're cultivators. And we also noted that man was not only to cultivate the garden that God gave to him, but he was also to keep it, to keep it, which means to oversee the safety and the security of the garden. And therefore, men, according to God's design uh, in Genesis 2, are both cultivators and their protectors. They're defenders of the weak and the vulnerable. They don't exploit and take advantage of others. They don't bully and tease outcasts. They don't trample over others to get ahead. Real men are protectors. Therefore, this means that when you young men are fulfilling God's design for your life and me, myself, as a cultivator, wherever you are, your presence makes others flourish. Your service helps others succeed. Your ideas, your your speech, your words, your actions, they're all contributing to the positive growth of God's creation. And when you are fulfilling your uh, God's design for your life as a protector, whether you're in your home, uh, at home, school, uh, work, practice, church, wherever God has placed you, because you are serving as a protector, people are safer because you're there. Your siblings, your classmates, your coworkers, they're more secure emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, because you show up as a man. And and lastly, after putting the first man in the garden to work it and keep it, God then commanded Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this shows us that men were not created to rule ourselves. We are not king of our lives, but we were called and created to carry out the will of God on earth. Men were to be his ambassadors, to govern and subdue the earth in accordance with God's commands. Therefore, at the very beginning, before sin ever entered the world, before humanity became corrupt and evil, according to Genesis 2, God created men to be cultivators and protectors of the garden as they submitted to the wise and good authority of God. And this is what we called biblical manhood. 
what it means to be a man according to God's design and not the world's. And now tonight, we're going to cover biblical womanhood. What it means to be a woman according to the design revealed to us in Genesis 2. So let's go ahead and read our passage, pray and dig in. And it's important that you have that passage in front of you and follow along. I'll read and then we'll pray. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Let's pray. Father, we need uh, you and the, your spirit to illuminate the truth for us. We are bombarded. We hear all the false messages about masculinity and femininity in this world. And there's a lot of confusion and we don't know all the answers. And so now, Father, we come to you humble, asking, Father, teach us, show us your design for man and woman. Please, Father, help us receive it with glad hearts and then act it out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a moment and uh, remind ourselves of the context, because the first word of our passage tonight is then, then, which indicates some events took place before our passage begins. And if we looked back at the prior verses, we would see God, right, he creates a man out of dust, and then he breathes life into the man. Then God plants the garden of extraordinary beauty and fruitfulness. He puts this beloved image bearer, Adam, in the garden to work and to keep it under his authority. And this all happens in verses 5 through 17. And here's the key, preceding the creation of woman. So at this point, woman does not exist. And remember... Genesis 2 is providing us with a detailed account of what happened back in Genesis 1 on day 6 of creation. Because in Genesis 1, we're only told a very simple summary statement. God created man and woman in his image. We're not given any more details until this chapter. And now that we put all this in context, look back at verse 18 with me. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Not good. 
Now, God's evaluation, his assessment of creation at this point as not good. It should like make, a, make us lift up our heads and perk up our ears and say, wait, what did he just say? What did he just say? Did he just say that something in his creation, his perfectly ordered world, galaxy, sun, moon, stars, animals, life, man, his world, not good. And we should have this reaction because up until this point, he's called everything good. Everything. God created the light and it says that he saw that it was good. God created the dry land and the seas. And he saw that it was good. God created the sun, moon, stars, saw that it was good. He created the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And he saw that it was good, 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 good. All of creation. But then he finishes creating man and says, oh, wait, this is not good. This is not good. Man should not be alone. And I just want to take this moment to say, my beloved sisters, Young ladies, do you see how highly God values women? In God's divine estimation, his world was not complete without you. This means women are no mere afterthought. She is not considered an unnecessary accessory to creation. Rather, we see here that God looks at his beautiful and excellent world fully functioning and says, apart from woman, this isn't good, not complete, not done. Bring me Adam. I want his rib. And so I want you all to know that the Bible's view, I don't know what you've heard before, but the Bible's view, God's view is extremely high of both man and woman. They are co-equals. They are both made in his image. One is not better than the other. And, and it grieves me. And I've, 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 I've teared up this week that many of you young ladies feel so worthless Like you're not valuable or special because you don't have a certain body or, or hair type or skin complexion or grades or you feel horrible about yourself because some immature, non-masculine boy chose another girl over you because he's shallow. Listen, you're worth more than your appearance. You're worth more than what that boy thinks of you. You're worth more than your grades. And apart from woman, our world is not complete, according to God. It's not good. That's how important you are. Also note the importance of friendship and community. In verse 18, God says, it's not good that man should be alone. That means by himself. He puts him in this wonderful, beautiful garden. But it's not good for him to be completely, fully alone. In other words, human beings, we need companions. We need friends. We need connection and conversation. We need eye contact. We crave to be known and loved. And I know some of you are deeply introverted. And some of us, me, are unbelievably extroverted. I make, people, I make introverted people uncomfortable until they see I like them. Like the introverts are shaking their head. I get likable eventually for introverts. 
But whether you're extroverted or introverted, according to God's design, it's not good for you to be alone. God's will for each of us is to live in a loving community with one another. And so this is what church is all about. Church is not about you coming and watching a sermon, singing some songs and leaving and never coming back. Church is about living in a community of people who are committed and loyal to bless and serve one another as they seek to worship Jesus and make disciples. Okay, so far, God sees all of creation. He's got all of creation and says it's not good. And then the second half of verse 18 tells us what's God going to do about this dilemma? What's God's solution? So look there with me. He says, I will make him a helper fit. I will make him a helper fit for him. Uh, I remember teaching our first son uh, to pick up his toys. Uh, He'd pick up like two things and he'd put them in the bin. And I was the proudest dad ever. Levi, you are such a good helper. But in reality, I did 98% of the work. He didn't do nothing. He wasn't that great of a helper. Um, His effort was great, but I did all the work. Now that picture of helper, little Levi helping me, his dad, throw that out of your mind. Throw that out of your mind. Because the word translated here is nothing close to that. Uh, Because if we did a word study, okay, which means that we would look up every time this word uh, used, uh, helper, is used in the Bible, which I did, looked up every time it's used, we'd find that it appears 21 times in almost every occasion. Every time you see it in the Bible, it refers to the help, not of some insignificant source uh, uh, like Levi, but rather to God's help. To God's help. So, for example, look at your cross-reference section. This is how it's used elsewhere in the Bible. In Psalm 115, 11, it says, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help. Same word. And their shield. In Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, we see the same thing. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. He's looking to the hills. From where does my help come from? Where does it come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In Psalm 75, again, the psalmist says, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. Come quickly. Why? You are my help. Same word. And my deliverer, O Lord, do not delay. So when God says he's going to make a helper for man, he's saying that he's going to create a being that if man does not have, he won't be able to fulfill his calling to cultivate and protect the garden under God's authority. In other words, the role of helper doesn't imply in the least bit that woman is somehow inferior to man in any way. She is no less than man. Indeed, she is called to partner with man as co-cultivator and co-protector of the garden. And without her help, God says, Adam can't do it. He can't fulfill the destiny. And so man can't fulfill his destiny apart from woman. And woman can't fulfill her destiny apart from man. They're, They're interdependent in the most beautiful and profound ways. 
And that's why God calls Eve a helper fit for him. That phrase fit for him, it literally means like opposite. So it's a like opposite to him. Like and opposite. This means that woman is man's perfect counterpart. She, in a sense, completes him. She's the same, yet different in all the best ways so that she's created to come alongside man and help him fulfill God's calling for the world. So look at Adam's response. When he first sets his eyes upon Eve, his beautiful wife, Start reading with me at verse 19. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. So at this point, before a woman is created, God brings before Adam all different kinds of animal life. And, and he gives Adam the responsibility to name each one, showing his God-given authority. So if we were there, if you were present right there with Adam, uh, witnessing this event, you'd see lions, uh, you'd see bears, you'd see elephants brought to Adam, you'd see parrots and pelicans and eagles, heavy and strong creatures, Light and quick creatures, big and small creatures, creature after creature after creature. And he's naming them all, yet it says, for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Out of the whole animal kingdom, no one could fulfill his need. But then God brings one more creature before Adam. Start reading with me again at verse 21. It says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Brothers and sisters, get this. These are the very first words recorded of any human being in the entire existence of the world. The very first words. And remember, Adam has seen the greatest, most majestic animals, and he says nothing. He's seen the beauty and glory of Eden's luscious greenery and tasty food. He's gazed upon the sky, moon, and stars with no city lights, the most beautiful sky you could imagine. He's seen all of creation's wonder. But it's when he sees this new creation, when he sees this woman, the helper fit for him, he literally breaks out into song. This is a poem saying, this at last, I've seen everything at last. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, Adam says, you can have the sun, you can have the stars, you can have the abundance of Eden, you can have the whole animal kingdom. Just give me her. Just give me that girl. She's mine. She's fit for me. She's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She's my helper. She's my wife. She will partner with me to rule God's kingdom as his servants. And so now here's the question I want to tackle. 
if man and woman are both equal, if man and woman are both co-cultivators and co-protectors of the garden, if they're both required to live under the authority of God, then what makes a man different than a woman? In other words, how is God's design for manhood different than womanhood and vice versa? And students, I want you to know that how we answer this question makes all the difference to living out your identity as either a male or a female. And the answer Genesis 2 and, and the rest of Scripture gives us is this. Here's the answer. This is the difference. The difference between biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is that God has appointed the man as the one ultimately responsible for cultivating and protecting the garden, including the cultivation and protection of his wife. Let me say that again. The difference between biblical manhood and biblical womanhood is that God has sovereignly appointed the man as the one ultimately responsible for cultivating and protecting the garden, including the cultivation and protection of his wife. We see this in that God, did you notice, never directly assigns the woman the responsibility to work and keep the garden. He does not, does not directly give her that assignment. And God never directly commands the woman to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gives that command and he gives both of these responsibilities directly to Adam. That's why when Adam and Eve, they sin against God in the next chapter and God comes looking for them. Who do you think he calls for? Does he call for Eve? No. The man. In Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9, look at the cross-reference section. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were ashamed. They sinned. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you, Adam? I need to talk to you, protector and keeper of the garden. He doesn't call for the woman, even though she was deceived first. He calls for the man. And this shows us that God holds the man ultimately responsible for allowing his wife to be deceived into sin by the serpent. He failed to protect his garden. Uh, a wise pastor told me in marriage counseling, what he tells couples is that man is not to blame for everything. They are not the direct cause of everything, but they are responsible for everything in that relationship. Also, while the world word helper doesn't indicate that woman is inferior to man whatsoever, as we already covered, it does prescribe a specific role to the woman. She is created by God to help, to help the man rule over the earth which again underlines the husband's responsibility to lead, to take the initiative, and the wife's responsibility to support the leadership and affirm the leadership of her husband. So what does this mean practically? It means that if my lovely wife Tiffany and I are walking down a dark 
alley and a robber pulls out a gun and one of us has to die, it's going to be me. As the God-appointed leader, I am called to lay my life down for her. It means that in our home, uh, if we're not living within our means and we're wasting money, if we're not raising our children according to God's ways, if we're not praying and seeking the Lord in the Bible together, if any part of our garden is going uncultivated and unprotected and it's growing weeds, the failure ultimately falls on me. She is a reflection of my leadership. That is God's design. Now, this doesn't mean my wife takes no initiative. <laughs> my wife takes a lot of initiative. In fact, she's going to do all sorts of things way better than me. Remember, this is not about who's capable and who's competent. It's not about that at all. It's about the role God has given to a man and to a woman. And it doesn't mean that all women must be traditional stay-at-home moms. It just means... That God, in his wisdom, this is how he set it up. I'm just revealing it to you. That all women, uh, it just means that God holds man ultimately responsible for the cultivation and protection of his garden. And the woman is called to support and affirm him in that God-given role. Now, that might sound unattractive um, and even offensive to some of you. You might say, but Pastor Robert, especially ladies, you might say, Pastor Robert, you're telling me that at the very heart of what it means to be a woman and not a man, what makes them like distinct is that God has given man the role to lead as they work together to rule the earth. That's God's design. That's how he set this thing up. It sounds unfair, kind of. And if this is your reaction to biblical manhood and womanhood, then I sympathize with you. I, I really understand where you're coming from because in our world today, look how messed up it is. Men have exploited, abused, and mistreated women. And women have exploited and mistreated men. Both have for a long time habitually committed grievous sins against one another ever since the fall. But listen, this is not because God's design is wrong. The problem is not with the design. The problem is with that we have failed to live out the design. So just postpone your judgment for a moment and consider how this design would have looked back in Genesis 2. Remember, God just created Adam. I mean, Adam's a pure and noble, and I might add handsome, Man, he's full of valor and virtue. He's literally the living reflection of God himself. He's made in his image. And he puts this man in a garden filled with every delight, a, a paradise. He then creates Eve, the very prototype of all women, perfect in every way, mind, body, and soul. Together they are sinless. They have everything good imaginable at their hands. And it's in this context, it's in that context that God says, Adam, I hold you responsible for cultivating and protecting this garden under my loving authority. And Eve, my dearest and most beautiful Eve, I charge you to help my son Adam, who can't do this without you. I charge you to support and encourage his initiative as you cultivate and guard the garden alongside him. 
So then, when we consider God's design in its original context, I, I hope you can see its beauty and its wisdom. We can see God created man and woman as perfect complements. They go so well together. Even our physical bodies tell us that. To work, and, and they're called to work and dwell together as God's image bears in the most blessed romance and purest love ever known on earth. That's Genesis 2. That's God's design. Not what you have seen in broken homes. Not when you have seen husbands abuse their wives. Or, or wives cheat on their husbands. That's not God's design. This is God's design for man and woman. Men are called and are responsible to cultivate and be protectors as they live under the authority of God and woman as their perfect complement made for each other in every way comes alongside them and co-cultivates and co-protects and they work together in perfect harmony. This is biblical manhood. This is biblical womanhood. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us see through the lies and the distortions of biblical manhood and womanhood that we've seen in our own homes and our friends' homes at school and the dating relationships and we how see they don't care for one another, don't protect each other, don't cultivate one another. Father, we have seen so much tragedy and ruin come from the way men and women treat each other. And so Lord, we're asking now, Lord, change us. Help us live into your good and wise design. Help us trust that what you have appointed, what you have put in place is good. And let us all seek, if you're single, let them seek, Father, for a spouse who, who embodies biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.